Welcome. This is an audio recording of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Jim Falk, President of the Council. The Council is a nonprofit membership organization dedicated to engaging the public in an exploration of global issues and foreign affairs, and we produce over 80 public events each year. To learn more about us or to become a member, visit dfwworld.org. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of Haynes & Boone, LLP. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you for that very uh, warm welcome, and it's wonderful to be here. Um, as you've just heard, uh, my wife was able to accompany w- with me. She usually corrects my speech, so she doesn't often uh, get a chance to put in a correction to the Consul General, who I might add is doing a great job here. Everybody who is, uh, uh, so many people who have come up to me today have uh, sung your praises, and I know you didn't have a chance to phone them all beforehand to get them to do that. <laughs> But uh, our offices here, our consulars, uh, trade commissioners, and others are here to serve you, and uh, I'd just like to acknowledge that they are doing a great job, and I appreciate that so much. Thanks for the great representation. And what a weekend to be here. I understand. Is there some football game or something? Uh, It's a a great, great weekend to be here, and as you've already heard, uh, when my, uh, my friend the U.S. Trade Representative uh, decided to call the meeting here and, and that this would be the time uh, because of his previous background, of course. I think he had something to do with the city here at one point. Um, then uh, we're all happy to, uh, to be here on this particular weekend. I want to tell you that uh, U.S. Trade Representative uh, Ron Kirk is, uh, I, I do see him as a friend. We have met a number of times. We take on issues, tough issues. Uh, we also look at uh, obviously advocating not just for our individual uh, countries, but uh, for our trade agreements themselves. So we have a, a great uh, relationship. Uh, he's a great guy. He, he talks more about Dallas than he does anything else uh, in our trade meetings, so you'll be happy to know that. Uh, I understand along with the uh, football game, too, there is a hockey game tonight, by the way. And as uh, Canadians, we're very excited about that. Let me just, can I give you just a glimpse of something on, on a, a difference of, of cultures, not between Canada and U.S., because we like our hockey robust and we like our football robust and aggressive, and we know that's how you like it. I was just recently in India, and um, a cricket is big over there. Any cricket players? No, okay. Um, but... Uh, one of our uh, the security people that was uh, with me, we were, we were in the gym early in the morning and the TV was on. There was a cricket game. And I just happened, it's another long story, but I happened to play cricket uh, for a couple of years when I was in school. Um, it's, it's not a big game in Canada, but anyway, it's a whole other story. Anyway, I'm somewhat familiar with the game. So he was asking me, you know, what was going on. And I was explaining the game to him. Now, I won't get into the details of the game, but they call it the, the gentleman's game. And he said, why do they call this the gentleman's game? And I said, well, just watch for a while. And sure enough, here's what happened. Now, this is what they call a test match. So it's two countries going head-to-head. I believe this one was uh, India and Sri Lanka. And what happened was, as you know, they have two batters or batsmen operate at once. That's another issue. Um, <laughs> but they, when they hit the ball, they, they, they run. They have to get to the other end of, of, of the pitch before somebody tries to throw them out. And when the batter, when the batsman was running, he bumped into the pitcher who's called the bowler. Now, they don't bowl it. They kind of do something like this uh, ferociously, I might add. And because he bumped into him, his, his speed was slowed down, and he got put out. Um, they, they threw him out. Now, he, he went to protest. Now, the way they protest there is slightly different than you'd see a batter in, you know, 
the baseball league here talking to the umpire. It's a little bit different. They approached, they had a very civil discussion, and the umpire said, because it can be the umpire's ruling, if the, the bowler or the pitcher had actually, you know, purposely blocked him, then that's one thing. Um, if it was, the, if the batsman could have avoided the, the bowler, then that's another thing. The batsman was making the point, I was blocked by the bowler. And the umpire saw it differently, and he said, sorry, you're out, and uh, it was very tense point in the match and the batsman politely you know he turned and he started walking away and I said well that's kind of why they call it uh, the gentleman's game then the captain of the team that was in the field went over and talked to his bowler his pitcher and they had a little discussion as it turned out the bowler said to the captain oh, I did kind of block him I maybe could have got out of the way the captain went to the umpire and said you know I've talked to the pitcher the bowler he said actually if he had tried harder got out of the way, the umpire called the batter back and said, continue on playing. Now, my security officer, who is a fairly robust athlete himself, said that is unbelievable, but he didn't say unbelievable. And <laughs> I just tried to extrapolate that, and I was thinking, uh, Norm, of a, a hockey game, can you see a, you know, a, a, a vicious check and somebody going down and the guy getting thrown off? Can you see the other hockey player skating over to the ref? Sir, um, I did hit him a bit hard. Could, you know, can you see the, the, the batter and uh, either your team or any team, you know, uh, something happening between himself and the catcher and the umpire saying you're out and the catcher saying, oh, sir, actually, it was my fault. You know, could you let the poor man? It just wouldn't happen. So cultural differences are fascinating. I understand that the uh, game is going to be very robust, both the uh, football game tomorrow and the hockey game tonight. And what is really robust is what's going on in, in Texas generally. I'm, I'm here uh, to talk about uh, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, but I, am, I have always been impressed with uh, Texas. And uh, my wife and I were able to visit here many years ago. Um, there are many similarities between some parts of, uh, between Texas and some parts of uh, Canada, Alberta, for instance, as you know, there are strong uh, connections, but that sort of uh, independent, I, I say that word very carefully, there's no political connotations there, um, but kind of an independent spirit, uh, let's get it done, let, let's, let's just get the job done, sort of a spirit um, that exists in, in many parts of Canada. So we really identify with you, with our, our friends here. So great to see uh, two of the councillors here. And uh, what's going on in this city is, is fantastic. I, see, I can say these things. There's no political motivation. Nobody can vote for me here. Uh, I don't have to be seen as suspect. But I just want to congratulate the city. Um, it, is, it is amazing what is going on. There's supposed to be a global recession, a downturn. You should be nervous and, you know, tentative. But you're not. You're just you're going straight ahead, and it's uh, very impressive to see. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, a lot of people are watching you and what you're doing around the world. We certainly are. And we also, we've been talking about things like hydrogen buses already. And there's, uh, we have great, uh, great things that we can talk about together. So uh, congratulations on what you're doing for your city and uh, all the best in the future. The, I don't have to tell you, uh, recently I picked up my copy of The Economist uh, magazine and there was, you know, Texas and there was another state they were compared to. Oh yeah, that California. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get into any issues there, but um, in my uh, remarks, which I'll get to within the next hour or so, um, it does show um, that policies make a difference and uh, things like taxes are important and the amount of regulatory weight that we put on businesses, on workers, on producers, on innovators, it makes a difference. Governments have to be careful. We need taxes. Uh, we need 
regulation to protect our citizens and our consumers, but uh, those can be excessive. And at least according to the economists, uh, the various levels of government in Texas seem to have an understanding and an eye for that, and it is bringing positive results. And I, again, I congratulate you on that. Thank you for those who organized, uh, again, this lunch. Uh, if there's any issue related to the expeditious manner in which it unfolded, I will talk to Ron Kirk about that on your behalf. But uh, we are delighted to talk about something that we actually like to brag about. The, now, first of all, the, the, this particular council, you are well known, I don't have to tell you this, uh, internationally for what you do, the way you bring people together, the issues and the initiatives you take on, your, um, your education in initiative, for instance, is well known really around the world. Um, you're to be congratulated. Um, when I was pr uh, preparing for this, uh, people who were talking to me about what you do said, you know, the, the, they, they have so many great initiatives that do so many great things. That's why they attract. I don't know if the person, you know, being my official was saying this reason. That's why they attract such great speakers. And I said, well, I can't say that because someone will say, I think I'm thinking about me. And uh, they said, then they didn't think what they were saying. They said, no, no, they'll never think that. <laughs> so <clears throat> they're unemployed now. And um, Winston Churchill once was in a debate with somebody, and the, the person on the, from the other political party was going after him a bit because he said, you always talk so bombastically uh, about yourself. And he said, the gentleman said to him, really, uh, I am the one whose example you should follow. I am a very modest man. To which uh, Winston Churchill said, yes, sir, and you have much to be modest about. <laughs> uh, so that's, if any, I don't want to leave you, uh, I'll leave you an impression of modesty about myself, but I don't want to be modest about this incredible relationship that we have. First of all, between our two countries, though, I'm here for the trilateral discussions uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement, but uh, Canada and the U.S. have such uh, a fantastic relationship, not just trade-wise. Um, our, our historic friendship, yes, we have issues that come up that have to be dealt with, but uh, truly our friendship is, is exemplary, I think, around the world. It's a model uh, of how two countries, side-by-side, side, peacefully can work through so many issues. Uh, we haven't had a military skirmish between ourselves since 1812, and those of you who know the history know that, you know, we won that one and you haven't tried since. <laughs> so, um, we, we, we are very, uh, we are very, um, we're very, we're not modest about our relationship. And we're, you know, we're not modest about the free trade agreement that started, first of all, in 1988 between Canada and the U.S. And that particular agreement yields uh, uh, there's about $2 billion, just under $2 billion a day in trade crosses our borders. It's, it's hugely, it is the most successful contemporary trade relationship uh, in economic uh, modern history. And uh, albeit with, with the challenges that go with it, 35 of, of your states, 35 U.S. states, the, their first export market is in fact Canada. There is somewhere between 7 and 8 million jobs that are directly dependent on just the Canada-U.S. free trade agreement. That, was, that then paved the way for the North American free trade agreement with Mexico joining. And since 1993, uh, trade has tripled within that three-country context. Just in merchandise trade alone, it's over a trillion dollars. I think something like 17 trillion is the overall GDP value. Do you know the, the percentage of world GDP, just these three countries, we make up 28% of the, 
of the world GDP. This is a robust, uh, aggressive, and I say that in a positive way, a relationship of which we should not be modest. There is much to talk about in terms of what countries with various strengths and weaknesses at various times can do to overcome their issues and their challenges. In, uh, when Mexico um, came in, of course, we have uh, significantly increased our trade with Mexico itself, and, and as you have also on, on the trade side and, and in other areas. We want to work together, the three countries, to make sure that the opportunities for our workers, our businesses, our people continue. And that means we have to deal with issues from time to time. We'll be talking about those, uh, the three of us as trade representatives, uh, starting uh, on, on Monday or late uh, Sunday night. But the uh, collaborative uh, ventures that have taken place just between, uh, I mean, we can go on and on about Canada and U.S., but, but just between uh, Texas, even North Texas and Canada are very significant. Uh, companies like Onyx, companies like Magna, uh, companies like Rim. How many of you here have a BlackBerry? This is not a trick question. You can, all right. Most of you do. Canadian company uh, with obviously great investment right here. I was so pleased when the Secret Service backed down from their original position with the newly elected president, who relied daily on his BlackBerry, and they weren't going to allow him to keep it. And um, I made a call, and we settled it. But. Uh, <laughs> I was public safety minister at the time. I said there are no security issues. Uh, but they developed the, uh, the mechanisms and the technology, and so the president is able to keep his Canadian product uh, at hand. And it's and it, it just, um, these are, are small examples. Bombardier, another one. Uh, and as you know, uh, Bombardier itself has a, a great facility here, huge investment in terms of the ongoing uh, repair and maintenance of aircraft. Uh, that is that, that these are just examples of highly successful relationships, and this isn't even getting into the areas of oil and gas, which is very significant. I don't have to tell you folks as as Texans. Um, I would think that I would venture to say most Americans are not aware that we actually it's Canada is the largest supplier of oil, gas, and energy to the United States. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's not the middle other parts of the Middle East. In fact. It is Canada. And we have established some great uh, collaborative uh, science and technology and research initiatives together. Just a recently uh, announced one uh, on, uh, related to nanotechnology that's looking at the products and the byproducts that come out of our, uh, the oil sands, and, uh, which are the, the largest reserves in the world of uh, what, will be, what is made into uh, oil. These are the types of realities that bring us together. On the merchandise side, uh, whether we're talking oil and gas, uh, whether we're talking educational science and technology and joint ventures, these things keep us motivated and they keep us going. As in terms of challenges, any relationship has its challenges. And on the related to NAFTA, there are always things which uh, come up that we have to deal with. One of the strengths of NAFTA is that it is driven by, on the, on the trade side, it is driven by the fact that we do, as, as intensely as we can, consult with chambers of commerce, manufacturers, export organizations and associations, business people like yourself. And what I like to do is when I'm meeting with our business people or going abroad is sit down and basically start the conversation by saying, what are we doing in government 
that's making it difficult for you to do business. Now, other than the fact there has to be some level of taxation, some level of regulation, it's important that we start that conversation there, especially in the realities, the global realities in which we live today with huge uh, markets, exporters like China and others. We have to make sure our, our view as a government uh, in Canada, the, the, the sort of philosophical and then the pragmatic approach that we take is to say to our businesses, we want to make your tax load as light as possible. We want to make the regulatory regime as common sense as possible. We don't want to get in a place as a government where we're telling you to tr where to trade, where to do business. But wherever you decide to, we want to make sure the government load is as light as possible so that you can focus on the things that you need to do and things that matter most to you. Now, when uh, we speak as representatives of our government, we, we, we speak in, we say, foreign countries. I never see the United States as a foreign country. But when we speak in other countries, um, you can do one of two things. You can, talk about, you, you can talk about yourself using your own material. Uh, some people um, call that propaganda. Of course, our government doesn't have propaganda. We're one of the few in the world that doesn't. And, but what I find is far more effective is to talk about what other people say about us because then it's not us and you don't think we're inflating anything. So it was very significant that the World Economic Forum has identified the Canadian banking system as being the most stable in the world. I'm telling you this for those of you who are, are not already engaged in ventures with Canada and you're thinking about it, there, there are some good things to think about. Our banking laws um, have been for years called very conservative. Uh, we believe that banks and financial institutions should have a certain amount of asset on hand before they start lending out and that that shouldn't necessarily be able to spiral to certain proportions without the asset base to back it up. Simple things like that. We've been accused, our banking system for years was accused of being boring. And it's so exciting this last year that really boring is the new exciting. And <laughs> the World Economic Forum has deemed that. So we have a very stable uh, banking and, and financial system. The International Monetary Fund uh, looked at our stimulus package and uh, where we were uh, at the beginning of this uh, very unfortunate downturn, this global downturn, and said among the industrialized nations, among the G8 nations, Canada was the best prepared going into this recession and is the best prepared uh, coming out of it. So these are uh, positive indicators. I appreciate the uh, necessary and ambitious level of the stimulus package in the United States that uh, your government has uh, put into place. That is doing much to invigorate the economy in a very difficult time, and we uh, appreciate that. Um, we also talk about our stimulus package and what we have put into play and, the again, the international recognition that it has gained. The OECD has said that Canada's business and corporate tax structure is the most competitive, again, among industrialized nations, among the G8, and will continue to do so. And we've mapped that out to 2014. We believe that taxation should be, should be transparent, should also be predictable, so that you can make the types of decisions that you need to make. If you're dealing in the province of Alberta and you're looking at provincial tax, I, this is the one time I'll talk about myself. Um, uh, when I was Minister of Finance there, we did put in, uh, the only one in Canada, a provincial flat tax. And uh, people really seem to like it. We just basically believe that because somebody works harder, 
it doesn't necessarily mean you should punish them at a higher rate uh, because they, there's uh, applause almost burst out there. Um, <laughs> but uh, overall, uh, on a, uh, when we combine provincial, municipal, and our, our, mainly our federal taxation, taxation system, the OECD has responded uh, very positively about our rates of federal taxation. Now, we combine that with uh, very positive programs related to research, innovation, development, science and technology agreements, all compliant with NAFTA and with World Trade Organization rules. So uh, when you combine that along with, um, again, uh, something that is observed internationally, and I heard it again today in the reception before the meeting um, about some people who have in invested heavily in, in some, of our, uh, some of the businesses in Canada, and they talk about a workforce that is motivated, highly educated, and is there really to do all they can to make your business a success. So these are the uh, positive at attributes which others uh, point to about our situation in Canada. Obviously, you've got a lot of that working here in Texas because uh, I don't even want to ask for a show of hands, but I think there's more, could be more Canadians in the audience right now than Americans. We have many Canadians here who have seen uh, Texas as a positive place to do business, to raise families, to live and, and to enjoy themselves, and there is uh, much Canadian investment that is going on uh, here in Texas, and we encourage that and want to see that continue. There are challenges, as I said, in a relationship, and uh, this is the, the point of the conversation now where I'm going to uh, try and engage you all to be uh, unofficial uh, volunteer ambassadors because uh, you know what the importance of free trade is all about. And I'll be honest with you, as I am with, with Ron Kirk, as, a, as committed as we are to the NAFTA relationship, uh, we are also committed to the World Trade Organization. Things, uh, over time, that organization has done very well to lower tariffs, lower regulatory walls, but it takes time. It's 154 countries. You can imagine a uh, councillor um, sitting around your council table um, how difficult it is to deal with, you know, one basic issue with a relatively small group of people. Can you imagine 154 different countries and you're trying to get agreement on things like tariffs, sectorals, modalities? Uh, we can't, j just to encourage your leaders to say things like modality is, you know, a major accomplishment because these things get very complicated. So we are committed to the WTO, as is... Uh, um, USTR representative uh, Kirk absolutely, he's absolutely committed to it, but we recognize it doesn't, you know, it moves at sort of the glacier like speed of government. And for that reason, we are very much pursuing bilateral trade relationships around the world. And just in the last little while, we have signed free trade deals with uh, Jordan, Colombia, Peru, Panama. Our prime minister was just in Czechoslovakia, uh, uh, sorry, the Czech Republic uh, a few months ago and we signed negotiations to begin uh, negotiations with the EU. Uh, that's 27 countries altogether. I was just in uh, Trinidad and Tobago uh, about uh, three weeks ago. We've signed the uh, agreement to begin discussions on a free trade agreement with the CARICOM countries in, in the Caribbean region. I don't mind telling you, we are hoping to, some of these free trade deals were ahead of the U.S. in getting them, which is great for us uh, because it means our producers, workers, exporters have a bit of an advantage over you folks. So I, I'm telling you that so that, because I, I believe that uh, as neighbors trade more freely, everybody benefits. So I share that information with you so you can encourage your leg legislators to also, they're aggressive, we're getting ahead of them in some, in some of these countries. You're ahead in some others. Uh, so it balances out. 
in the Buy America package, the legislation to do with your the stimulus package is some $789 billion. Um, you know, we get so used to talking these big numbers. Uh, somebody said something about a, a trillion-dollar deficit uh, about a, in a particular country, and the person responded, trillion dollars, pretty soon we're going to be talking about real money here. Um, the problem with talking in those numbers, these are real numbers. When our public hears them, when our voters, our taxpayers hear them, once you start talking trillion, people start to glaze over. A billion, you know, can still get their attention. As counselors would know, if you get exposed as having paid, you know, $38 for a dinner, um, you can be in big trouble. But a trillion, eh, let it go, you know. <laughs> These are very, very big numbers uh, that we're talking about. And $790 billion for your uh, basic, just your infrastructure package, that's a very significant number. With the way in which the Buy America package is being rolled out, it has turned out to be to have some protection. Um, which are hurting the ability of Canadian provinces and municipalities to bid on uh, quite a range of products in the U.S. That's one of the main items that um, uh, Ambassador Kirk and I will be discussing in our bilateral on Monday. We've, pu we've put together a proposal uh, for the U.S. to consider, and they are actively considering it, and he's put his chief negotiator on it. I've got our chief negotiator on this. We're hoping to resolve this. Uh, but in your discussions with uh, legislators, uh, people in, in diplomatic influence, feel free to share the joys of free trade uh, with them. And here's, the, here's where it comes into very significant play. Our economies, our various businesses, I don't have to tell you this as business people, are so integrated in terms of supply chains and, chains and, and um, vertical and horizontal integration that if, you, if one business gets hurt on one side of the border, the other will get hurt on this side of the border. Quick case in point, we had a company that was bidding on a water treatment project in a U.S. city. Uh, because of the way in which the Buy America package is being interpreted, that city or, or the business within that Canadian city was told, you're not going to be allowed to bid on it. Now, they were bringing in certain type of a steel product into and then they had a patented process which they did some extrusion on the steel product and then delivered it for the water treatment process to the U.S. city. Now, here's the, the, the insidious part about trade barriers. Everybody gets hurt. By that contract being shut down, the steel product, which the Canadian company ordered from the U.S. company, was therefore not required. And those workers were left without that contract. Now, what can happen on the home front is someone can whisper in the eye of that legislator and say, hey, it's okay because the jobs, that means we get the jobs. Well, in this case, as in many, there was a certain patent, protective patent, that's used in the Canadian process once they got that U.S. steel product. That Canadian patent obviously was not available now to the particular product that was being shipped from the U.S. to Canada. So not only did the workers lose out, that particular municipality lost out on a very high-tech, sophisticated project related to water treatment. So when it comes to trade walls going up, everybody winds up getting hurt. These are some of the things that we'll uh, talk about. And where you, where you say, what are you talking about, voluntary ambassadors? I, I'm happy to uh, recruit as many as, uh, as you feel able when you have the opportunity to uh, talk about the importance of freedom of trade. And uh, when you trade ideas and when you trade processes and when you trade product and when you trade technologies, 
everybody benefits in the longer term. And that has certainly been the experience of the U.S.-Canada trade agreement. It is certainly the experience of the U.S.-Canada-Mexico agreement. People here in Texas, in, in Texas understand that in a very, very unique way. I congratulate you for that. Thank you for being part of a partnership that keeps our economic engines running, even in this time of global downturn. Workers, families, and our economies are helped by that. I appreciate your insight and your vigor and look forward to continue to working with you. Thank you. We have microphones? We do. If you could raise your hand and I ask if you'll wait for a microphone so that we can be sure to put this on our podcast. Questions? As we're looking for a question, I have one. What is on the agenda for this week's uh, Monday's meeting? If I tell you that, you know, they will have to kill me. So and probably me too. <laughs> um, we've got a number of things that have been brought forward by business groups on, um, in all three countries. Um, we are looking in some specific ways at the uh, security of supply chain deliveries. That means uh, there are a number of programs, as some of you have been aware, whereby if your company is willing to go through the security analysis... Uh, you can be granted special uh, and speedy access, whether we're talking rail, air, or truck transport across the border. Uh, we'll be looking at advancing some of those programs. We also um, uh, want to overcome some of the difficulties in um, electronically transmitting the information that you have about products going across the border so that, um, again, shipping can be expedited. Pre-clearance programs, where the you as an individual or your company can actually, in fact, be pre-cleared so that you don't have to um, slow things down at the border. There's, there, there's a problem that we call the thickening of the border, and it happens when, uh, quite rightly, we all have security concerns. We do at our borders, you do at yours. And uh, if those uh, unnecessarily trump trade, then what you'll have is a slowdown in economic ability to do what we have to do. So we'll be talking about... Uh, a lot of those related issues. And then uh, there'll be certain issues. We have Canada-Mexico issues, so there'll be a bilateral meeting, and I'll also have bilateral with uh, uh, Ambassador Kurt to deal with some specific issues that are just unique to Canada and the U.S. On some of these security issues, then will there be representatives from the Department of Homeland Security here? or uh, There'll be. Um, it's up to each uh, country to make those people available, but the information that, that we've got now before us, our briefing information on the things we have to deal with, are prepared by the officials in those various departments, and they will be available as we, you know, you drill down into some of the specifics, then they're available as the technical experts to tell us what they're actually seeing, where it's working well, and where it needs to be improved. Uh, I hear that uh, in Winnipeg, Canada is going to open their first free trade zone. And can you comment on y'all's expectations for that and also the possibilities for expansion to other Canadian cities? Great question. You are very uh, current, and I didn't ask you to ask that question, uh, nor did you ask me to say how amazingly current and informed you are. Um, I just announced uh, with the Premier of uh, Manitoba, it was actually uh, two weeks ago, it was actually his last day on the job because he is becoming the new ambassador to the United States from Canada. Uh, Premier Gary Dewar, great guy. He's going to do a great job. What we've done there, at, at basically at their airport, uh, we've committed resources from the point of view of um, foreign affairs and international trade to 
assist them with working through a number of the uh, policies that are in place, ren uh, um, research and development, innovation. It can get to be that there's so many uh, policies, or, uh, so many grants, so many initiatives that a government has to offer that you as business people, unless you're large enough to hire people full-time to do it, it, it can be time-consuming, it can be distracting, um, and sometimes you can miss opportunities. So what we're doing is uh, pulling all these together. We're going to put the resources in place to get out to the businesses there, to let them know, for instance, on tax deferrals for a product that you're bringing in from another country, from the U.S., that you're manufacturing, adding value, and shipping out. Um, all of the uh, outreach that's necessary to inform people about what's available to them if they want to come together and kind of an incubator process, we're calling it a foreign trade zone, uh, where that's going to be immediately available and, and accessible to them. So businesses that will be locating in that particular area, they're going to be on the leading edge um, of all of these programs. I would suggest they will have a, in a way, they will have a competitive edge just because we're going to be out front doing the work for them, getting the information to them so they can concentrate on their manufacturing, their process, and their shipping. So it's an exciting venture. Uh, they're, they're really, uh, it's got a lot of attention in Canada and other cities that want to, wanting to do the same. As we look more, thank you. As we look more deeply into the new economic giants of the 21st century, namely China and India, what steps are being taken by countries like Canada, the United States, Mexico, and other Western Hemisphere? countries to uh, position themselves, if you will, from a competitive standpoint? Well, I can tell you, um, not that many months ago, spending uh, a, a week in China, um, we opened a number of trade offices. We had a number of businesses that were uh, accompanying us, bidding on some really large uh, projects there. Uh, United States business people, United States government, Canadian business, Canadian government, uh, Everybody is realizing the growth potential in China. I, I, if I even start talking about it, I, I start to blow my own mind because it is so incredible. You, they redefine growth, uh, the order of magnitude. So countries like Canada and countries like the United States are over there meeting with their officials, finding out everything that has to be done to make trade and make these uh, possibilities more available. Now, it becomes an interesting dynamic because... There, I, I, it's no secret when I say we want to make sure if there is a product coming in from China that it meets our standards. And we want to do that in a way that's honest and sincere. As you know, as business people, none of that you would ever think of doing this, but you can use a, a safety standard as a non-tariff barrier. And you can even try and uh, get your government to legislate against another product coming in. Some ways it's, it's, it's bona fide, other times it's just a non-tariff tariff barrier. So here we are on the one hand, we're aggressively pursuing a more comprehensive trade agreement with China. On the other hand, uh, in terms of countervails uh, right now at the WTO, we're, we, we have 21 different cases against China. 13 of those involve steel. So that, of course, upsets them. So then part of the process is to try and convince them, look, these are genuine issues where you're not meeting the mark. And so that's why you have a World Trade Organization it's like you try and have a hockey game or a football game without a referee. Uh, now, some might think, you might think, being Texans, that's a good idea. But, um, 
in, in fact, you know, that would quickly disintegrate into chaos. And so we've got the World Trade Organization, and where we genuinely feel that they have breached it, we bring that to the referee, and the referee will judge. So it's a very interesting, largely a positive dynamic that we're saying to them, we want to open up as many doors as possible, doors of opportunities for our businesses, workers, students, and everything else. Uh, at the same time, we're going to be very uh, quick to move on you if you're going to try and bring inferior product in. That's the dynamic. I can tell you every country is over there doing it and uh, basically has this almost this bipolar relationship. But China is moving ahead uh, on, on growth. When I was there, they announced that they were going to be uh, building the uh, Beijing to Shanghai high-speed rail. Um, 400 and some kilometers per hour, so that's like 250, 300 miles an hour. They were just starting to put the shovels in the ground. They say they're going to cut the ribbon. Now, this is almost 900, well, it's 900, sorry, 900 kilometers, 540 miles. They say they're going to cut the ribbon in two years. It, it's unbelievable. The, I, I was in the uh, 10th largest um, skyscraper in the world. They've just about completed it. And they put that up at the rate of two floors per day. And this is not bamboo. This is, <laughs> this is earthquake-proof, absolutely high-tech, fiber-optic, resilient steel, um, you know, the, one of the most modern biz, uh, buildings in the world. They are, uh, we are involved in many, we have Canadian companies involved in helping them with, or, or building, you know, subway systems, train cars, airplanes. So it used, it, it's gone from this, it's gone from, you know, let's, I'll use a Canadian company going over there and doing it all for them, to joint ventures to, it's going to be strictly China. It's going to be their businesses. They are moving on at an aggressive rate. That's why free trade is so important. That's why free trade rules are so important. I hope that gives you some sense of what's going on. Time for one more question. Professor Hollifield. Thanks, Jim. Uh, you mentioned uh, the bilateral relationship with Mexico. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the volume of trade between Canada and Mexico and what you think will be the two or three or four issues that will dominate your discussion with Mexico? Uh, volume of trade um, has quintupled since 1993 between Canada and Mexico. Um, I had the number off the top of my head. Um, our trade issues relate to a lot of uh, agricultural related issues. Um, machinery, which we used to, um, agriculture machinery and autos, uh, which we used to ship in large numbers. Um, for a variety of reasons, and you experience this too, those companies began to relocate in Mexico. Um, because, and here's the importance of, of the free trade of a free trade agreement. When we sign free trade agreements, we tie in very strongly to a labor accord and an environmental accord, so that the products that are being produced in that particular country they have to live up to all the ILO regulations on hours of work, child labor, and this type of thing and on the environmental side so that they meet certain environmental. So our issues with Mexico deal with those kind of uh, items, your labor issues, environmental. And here's, the, the, this is really, the, the, it's, the question is so um, important right now. 
Because for years, with developing company uh, countries, we all we always said, you know, we want to move beyond just giving countries aid. We want to see them, you know, come into their own. And you know, the old thing of don't give someone a fish, teach them how to fish. Well, start looking around the world: Mexico, India, China. Guess what? They've learned how to fish. And then you start to find out just how excited you really are about the fact they can produce at levels that are competitive to what you can, and it starts to really bring you know bring some basic philosophical issues home. But I do believe, and I think uh, history is very clear, that uh, trade always leads to increased higher uh, standards of living, increased competition leads to better products. Trade is positive and necessary, and by bringing in trade in this way with Mexico dealing with these issues, it causes them to raise their standards, but also comes them to be causes them to be competitive. And Canadian companies know they can't just sit back; they've got to continue to be innovative, research, develop, and on and on it goes. The, the overlying effect with all the problems in the world today, of which there are many, overall. I won't get into the basic numbers, but poverty levels have diminished, believe it or not. Uh, there are some very un uh, unfortunate examples of f fragile economies and basket case states because of the leadership and because they don't adopt certain principles and policies. But overall, where these principles are followed, the human principles of uh, freedom, uh, democracy, freedom to trade, freedom to be enterprising, freedom to invest, a common sense of, of uh, a common set of rules. Uh, these things will move the human condition in an upward fashion. History shows that, and uh, we're pleased to be and proud to be partners with you in that process. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Nitinsky. Councilmember Nitinsky. My first thought was to make him take his tie off and put this orange one on, but then I didn't want to offend any of those Sooners that were out there in, in the audience. Uh, you know, on behalf of uh, Mayor Leppert, the entire City Council, myself, and Ms. Cooper here today, we'd like to present this uh, uh, special book to you. It's uh, entitled Dallas, Where Dreams Come True. It was probably printed on Canadian paper by a Canadian printer, so you won't have any problem getting it back through Canadian customs. Uh, we hope while you're here, uh, in between the work that you're going to be doing uh, uh, on behalf of the uh, tri-party, what's it called now, the tri-party trade meeting, whatever it is. Sounds you're doing. good. Sounds That's good, good yeah. right. Make it sound important. Uh, that you do get a chance to visit some of the sites in the city, our new performing arts center, the AT&T Performing Arts Center. Uh, it's just opening this week, a lot of festivities. Uh, and, and I want to say on a, on a personal note, uh, listening to you today and chatting with you at the table here, uh, you're my kind of guy. You're a how are we going to get it done and make it happen kind of guy, and I appreciate that very much. So we hope you take this back. We hope you return to Dallas uh, as, soon, as uh, often as possible, and thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for the book. Um, my wife is sometimes able to uh, travel with me, and uh, when you look at the trade numbers in Dallas at the end of the month, you'll see a spike upwards. And um, thank you very much uh, for this book, and you've been wonderful host to us. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again.
For more information about the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth, visit them on the web at www.dfwworld.org.